The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to episode 183 of the Square Ball Podcast with Levi Solicitors. With that 10% off your legal fees when you go through us, the Square Ball, and 20% off for key workers at the minute, go to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Square Ball. I'm Dan Moylan with me remotely, Michael Normanson. Hello. And here's Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. New mugs are on sale at the minute via the website on our merch store. Bielsa mugs that have been flying out the door. If you saw the artwork that was featured on Match of the Day when we played Arsenal, you'll know exactly the ones that we mean. And we've got another batch of Leeds fighter mugs as well, the Street Fighter looking stuff, the characters on there. Uh, we did batch number one, they flew out. So we did different characters on batch number two. If you fancy um, adding to your collection, head to the squareball.net. And on there as well, coasters on which to put your new mug. We've seen the EFL framework then for the return of football boys and the team are back in team training at Leeds today anyway. We've seen some pictures on the official site and the official channels. Is it, isn't it nice to see them back? It is nice. The picture of Calvin and Tyler I thought was particularly touching. Best of friends, reunited again. Beautiful. We'll never get bored of looking at Calvin Phillips, even if it is from uh, whatever distance could be a matches click shot away from him and he still looks good. That does sound a little bit like you've been stalking him, but that's fine. Found interesting with this framework thing is that they're still deciding what to do with the season, even though the teams are back. I mean, Championship, it seems now he's going to play to conclusion via one means or another, but like it's not quite clear whether League One is going to return or not. So what is basically in this framework, if we can do this in a, in a fashion that won't make me glaze over and slip into a coma? Well, the good news for us is that they've said promotion and relegation will stand and it is going to be unweighted points per game if a season cannot be completed. So that's good for us. That's fine. So let's let's just pack it all in now and we'll go up. That seems seems to work for everybody. Yeah, and if we can decide next year's Premier League on points per game, but based on this season, probably get in the Champions League. So that's good. There'll be no football to watch, but... No, we'll have whole cities full support for this. Is Nobody ever has to play a game again. We just look at the table, do some maths at the start of it and uh, decide it that way. Easy. On that point about promotion and canning it now, doing a hull, I think as it's called, do you want us to just go up and sack off the football? I know that like Hart and Head are sort of saying different things because I can't make my mind up. I don't know if I want to sit through the ordeal of watching us try and get promoted now. I feel like I could be just, I'll be easily talked into having football back and trying to go up doing it the proper way. In the same way, you know, you occasionally get talked into a night out when you weren't planning on going out. And then you regret it massively. It's like a Sunday night or something. You've got work the next day and you've been like, oh, yeah, go on, I'll, I'll come out. And then at two in the morning, you're massively regretting your decision. Or in this case, when we're fourth in the league, you're massively regretting your decision. It's the whole point of it, though, is playing games. The news has made it to the Argentinian press. Is pretty much everything about Marcelo Bielsa does. And they're reporting that Leeds United do not want to be promoted by desk. That's how Google Translate is, is putting it. I think that's a, a beautiful way. Is, uh, who would want to be promoted by desk? I want to be promoted by football games. And even if we're not promoted through playing the football games, I still, I always go back to this, that the the Derby County playoff defeat last season was such a extraordinary, weird rush of emotions all compressed into one dramatic evening, which is kind of what, we all got into football for in the first place. Nobody's a fucking Leeds fan because they like winning. It's all the the drama and the the fun and the emotion that comes with it. And particularly after the last two months and counting of essentially having not just football, but life kind of on pause, everything on standby to be thrown back into an actual exciting promotion race. I hope we lose a few games. Take it to the last day. Give me something to feel alive for. I hope we don't do that. I hope that we get it sewn up as quick as possible. I can't remember it was that said, but you know, the most leadsy thing in the world would be, you know, if we do do Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday with the first three games is to blow it all up in the, in the first week, find ourselves third. And that's when they decide to can it on points per game when Fulham have just overtaken us in the second place. I did read some, I don't know even know where I was on it though. It was on some, looking at some Norwich fans commenting and that was essentially their plan was if they restart this, we need to, just absolutely try and fly out the traps and win some games because it'll end up getting cancelled anyway. And then we've got a better chance on points per game. It was one of the things um, mentioned with regard to Germany restarting as well, that they were seeing it as a 
there's a risk actually that teams would be approaching every game as a cup final because um, they didn't know how long they would be able to carry on playing without the season being suspended again and and they didn't really need players clattering into each other at full cup final speed when everybody's supposed to be still sort of social distancing if you can in the six yard box and it's holds um whole city's argument as well is uh i mean at least as far as you take their reasoning seriously is what's the point in restarting if we have to stop again and what do we do then and blah 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 but it is a risk but i mean the whole thing is risk so it's about reducing I think reducing the risk to health is the important thing. And then the risk to the outcome of the league, whether it, you know, whether we have to stop it and recalculate, that's an entirely separate thing and probably easier to to mess about with. So what about Hall City then? Because there is a genuine moral and ethical argument for saying what they are saying is right because COVID has been awful. It's been devastating for so many people. However, within the parameters of football and how we find ourselves now it's starting to look a little bit shady I think the thing with Hull is I've no if this is their genuine objection and they don't think it's safe to continue then they won't mind just being relegated as long as they stay safe which I think we should give to them as an option in the, not, I know in some seasons when people have failed to put out a team and missed games they've had further points deductions and fines and stuff they should say to them look it's fine there'll be no additional fines for you you won't have any any other comeback on this but if you don't play your games, you are not getting the points and this is going to go on with or without you. So it's really up to you. I think as well, it's hard to take this from the current ownership of Hull City Tigers um, as they would prefer or Hull Tigers as they would prefer to be known because they've shown very little evidence in all the time they've been at that football club of having anything approaching a a conscience or um, regard for for football's sporting integrity or the wishes of their fans or anybody else's feelings or thoughts just didn't really come into it. They're very much the Ken Bates of East Yorkshire in that regard. So for them to be suddenly, oh no, actually we we really do care about everybody. There's a there's a big aspect of being the the football club chairman who cried wolf about all this, and th- there's an aspect of this as well where. They're not the only club who wants this to be done safely. I think most do, and Leeds in particular, their stance has not changed from the start, which is when it is safe and it is practical to do so, let's start playing football again. Nobody, I don't think, if you polled them and said, right, this is still really dangerous, do you want to restart the season? Well, the vote is going to be no. The entire point of the framework and the the length of time it's taken has been to wait until it is safe enough to play. Um, and so Hull are kind of basing it on a, a straw man argument as if they're all being sent out to play football in a, under terribly risky, 100% infectious conditions when everybody really wants the same thing that they do, which is everything to be safe. Touching on what I was saying there, we are the club that stands to gain most along with West Brom by agreeing with their stance and yet we're not agreeing with their stance. And, you know, as much as we're kind of toying with the idea ourselves here of um, of canning it and just being promoted without the grief, you know, quite, let's face it, we, we do want football back, don't we, really? And I feel good that Leeds are making noises about that in the right direction. I enjoyed some of the hysterical reaction on Twitter from other fans when Angus Kinnear was saying, you know, it should be safe to play. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to get this going again. Them going, yeah, they only want, they're only saying that to the top of the league. Like, no, the opposite to this is that we don't we are still top of the league and we don't play any games we have nothing we don't have to do anything to finish top of the league so it's not yeah it's it's reassuring to know that we're based our stance on it is essentially we want to play if we don't play then we'll go up that's fine but we'll do everything in our power and genuinely mean it as well not one of not saying yeah we do want to play you know we've bought the equipment we've obviously taken good measures we've heard from Phil about the the measures they're taking at the training ground of players' kit being in boxes and bringing their own stuff for the, you know, the, there are proper plans in place for this. We have obviously been ready for this to to happen and to restart in a way that I think a lot of clubs have just essentially had the fingers in their ears and hoping that the season will just be canned. It is probably the more moral position, which is to not try and take advantage of a global pandemic because you know this is a terrible, unprecedented event and. It's very easy, as I think a lot of clubs and um, individuals have kind of pushed to use it to your own advantage. Well, things are going to come back differently and we can 
you know, turn things to our own advantage and gain something that we would not otherwise have gained, which, you know, going up on points per games at this point would basically be that. It's not how the season was going to end and we would gain from it. We would not have to play the last nine matches and we'd be up. So there would always be a, an asterisk against that promotion to say, well, the season wasn't finished. And also a question in my mind of like, how does it feel to have for the outcome of all these deaths to be well at least Leeds went up so that's good it just it doesn't fit right so the kind of the the safer moral position is to say no we just have to go back once it's safe and carry on as before and try to minimize the impact we've been arguing all along these podcasts things will have to change the business of home advantage and empty stadiums these are the things that we have to adapt to in order to to help things carry on but for nobody to be gaining something that they would not otherwise have had and a promotion with nine games unplayed would be something we wouldn't otherwise have had i do sound a little bit like that bloke from norwich saying we wouldn't have, have earned promotion but i think here you know what i mean to, to for our own stance to be that we don't want to gain by the virus is laudable and we should add that what angus kinnear was saying is dependent on there's one, two, three, four, five big words at the end of it, if the context remained comparable when he was talking about the national embarrassment. So if situation is the same in the UK as it has been in Germany, they've managed to get the football up and running. He's saying that it would be embarrassing if the leagues squabbled their way into not getting it completed in this country. That was his point. And it is a relevant point now because we see the infection the death rate sorry dropping and the infection rate dropping daily in the general population. But the testing in the football world is, is showing just one or two positive tests so far, which is manageable. And of all the work environments that people are being asked to go back into, which essentially anyone who's unable to work from home is now being asked to go back into work. These people are getting, they're getting tested twice a week. They're intrinsically healthy young men. So should be completely fine. Even if they have to catch it, the excuses for staying away from it for the vast majority of people. And I know there's going to be circumstances with, Certain players might have family members and things that have, they're maybe trying to protect. But for the vast majority of people, it is kind of looking safe now. Yeah, there's a, a process going on as well because you can't forget the the championship. The Premier League and stuff is a, a week ahead of us, but with the championship, they're still talking about starting matches at the end of June. So we've got uh, five weeks ahead of us where one thing to test is they're testing all the players who and staff coming back to training over this weekend, and the only ones who have tested positive happen to be at Hull. Interestingly, one of their other complaints was that because players will be able to test themselves, that could be open to abuse, which almost sounds like stating out, it's like one of those films where the villain tells you what his crime is going to commit. But because the, the testing that's been done so far has all been centralised, I'm sure this is um, all genuine at Hull at the moment. But the, the question then is once the, the training does start, so... We've got the small group training at Leeds as of Monday. If when they start doing tests twice a week, suddenly there's a big um, spike in infections amongst footballers, then everybody knows we've got a problem and we step back and we can work out what to do from there. And that's, I think that's where some of the players who are not coming back yet, you can understand that they've got some time to kind of say, well, I'm a little bit worried about the my either my own health or the health of my family and whether I might bring a an infection back we've got a few weeks ahead of us for football to basically prove that it can keep itself free of the virus long enough for then those players to come back and see it's demonstrably an environment they can go into without without any concerns and then the next stage is then playing the matches it's had a knock-on effect of course onto the the tickets the refunds on the remaining matches for this season and then potentially looking at what happens next season. We've seen the first moves from the club in that regard as well. It's quite complicated, isn't it? Because nobody quite knows exactly how this is going to pan out. But what we do know is there's no return to football this year. So phase one is underway in the next couple of weeks for, for the ticket refunds. Yeah, so far they've not talked about next year. They've essentially just gone, we'll see what happens with that because it's it's complicated. And as much as Leeds United are a fairly large business, they can't essentially afford to not have any ticket revenue next year, particularly if we're still in this division. So, But the statement they put out, I was just really pleased with it. It's very clear. It tells people the exact timescales of when things are going to happen. Just to, there's, there's no real hoops to jump through at this stage. It seems to be a simple case of you just have to wait, you just have to wait. That'll be sorted automatically. We'll tell you when you need to do your bit. I was just quite pleased to see something approaching 
sensible advice? Yeah, they've been a lot better on tickets over the last couple of seasons, even when people aren't happy with aspects of the ticketing, like how away tickets are allocated. And I know I think there's still quite a lot of gold members and, and silver members who, who do wonder what they've bought. But you never get the sense with Leeds these days that those concerns are just being ignored when you see the um, the interactions between Angus Kinnear and uh, the conversations he has with Leeds United Supporters Trust when they take the survey that they do with their members and they, they take the feelings of the fans to him to and specific questions. Everything gets answered. And I think what I, I kind of like about it is that there's not ever a, a sense of not answering questions that we with answers that we might not like. It doesn't necessarily help, but you do hear specifically about away tickets, that line of, we know a lot of people are going to be unhappy about this, but we think it's the best solution we can come up with. And so there's always that, I think that nobody's being completely ignored, even if they can't specifically be accommodated. So this is kind of a, a continuation of, of that. Are you going to be taking a refund? Um, I've got, I mean, for me, I've no idea because I've got a 20-year season ticket, so I've no idea what they do. But I, personally, I, I know there's been an awful lot of stuff I've seen on Twitter and Facebook about this. People say, no, you can keep my money. It's absolutely fine. It might not surprise you that I don't feel particularly inclined to do that because essentially Leeds United are a business owned by a multimillionaire and I am not a multimillionaire and I've paid for it. So I wouldn't feel bad about taking the money back, even if I was a, I might not be allowed to. But, you know, I think there's a, a line in which you think, well, if it is the, what would the club do without my money? Could Rajasani put some extra money in to cover it because he essentially could afford it? I don't know. I wouldn't. I just. I don't want anyone to feel bad for taking their money back. Is what I'm saying. I don't think. I don't. We need to get into this competition of you're not a real fan if you want your money back. And I think the club have been at pains to stress that, haven't they? As well, they don't want it to be a thing where there's this whole "I'm a better fan than you" accusation flying around. But unfortunately, that is the nature of groups of people, isn't it? That the tendency to divide yourself into tribes and point fingers at the other lot, marching on together <laughs> in separate tribes, pointing fingers at each other based on um, fiscal circumstance. I don't remember that as one of the verses specifically, but um, yeah, it's nobody's business than a person's own, whether they need or want their ticket money refunded for whatever reason, whether it's they need it to pay bills because they've been laid off during the pandemic, or they just think Andrea Rodriguez has got more money than them, so he should pay for it rather than them, which is also perfectly fine. Everything's fine, and the club are making all those options available. Essentially, it boils down to the same thing we talked about when players are being asked to defer wages or take pay cuts. If in a, you know, a year's time, a club then signs a player for £80 million and you've taken a wage cut or forfeited some wages, you would be quite within your rights to go, well, hang on, what about the, the money that was taken off me then? And equally, if we're in the, in the Premier League spending £20 million quid on players next season and you've spent 600 quid on a season ticket that you can't use you would be quite within your eyes to say, well, that doesn't seem necessarily fair. And just returning to the training ground and Bielsa specifically, that Phil Hay did a Q&A on The Athletic talking about the provisions that have been put in place at Thorpe Arch. Is there enough antiseptic in the world to cater for us keeping Bielsa safe? Put him in a... You know, have you seen the bubble football they do? Where you bash into each other and you're in a little uh, inflatable plastic thing. Put him in one of them. And talking about Phil on The Athletic just there, this week on The Athletic, you can read an interview with Tom Tyo, who was one of the lads who went off to Chelsea under Ken Bates. There's also a bit on uh, John Kevin Augustin, who's set to kick into action, and Phil's having a deep dive into his stats this week, and dipping his toes into proper old school leads and doing a piece on the Revit dossiers. We've got the weekly podcast with Phil that comes out on a Friday morning about 5am UK time, and every week you get to decide the topic in part three, so have a look at Phil's Twitter feed for this week's shortlist. And everything's ad-free on The Athletic, including the podcast and all the articles. There's no clickbait, no pop-ups. And you can still use our 50% off discount by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I mean, oh my God, finally we've had some transfer-related news that we can speak about. It's not a lot to feed on at the minute, but at least it's a little bit. There was talk, um, again, when Phil did a QA and a on The Athletic, might have been the same one, it was mentioned that Jan Kuto, who's a right-sided Brazilian, is a player that Phil has heard Leeds strongly linked with. So keep an eye on that one. So I had a bit of a dive into this, and this kid turns 18 in June. He's a right-back, Brazilian lad, obviously, who plays for uh, Coritiba, which is a city in southern Brazil, just down the coast from Rio and Sao Paulo. 
Now, he's only just made it into the first team there at Coritiba and made a couple of appearances, but huge interest from Europe. Um, Barcelona were sniffing around. He was heavily linked with those, but he signed a contract with Man City, but they've not actually signed him yet. That one goes through on the 1st of July, 2020. So what could be, in theory, the start of the next football season? But it's an interesting one, isn't it? A right-sided player who's only just turning 18. I mean, where, where would you see someone like that fitting into the setup? On loan to Fleetwood. Seems fair. You've got to do at least at least three years there before you're even considered. Or Accrington. I think we've sent a few to Accrington in the past as well. I think Charlie Taylor and Tom Lees both went there, didn't they? Yeah, Tom Lees uh, also became a Berry legend in his uh, his time before becoming a first-team player at Leeds. So plenty of options for the lad, all beautiful parts of the world. I mean, Berry don't have a team anymore, which is a shame for him. I'd forgotten about that. He can. I'm sure there'll be some Phoenix club in the northeast counties starting up or something he can go and play on a park. Wonder where it'd leave Luke Ayling though if they did sign uh, this young lad. I don't quite understand how we can sign him. So he's signed for Man City, but he's not signed for them. Uh, the contract goes through on the first of July, so I think it's to do with when the Brazilian season finishes. Um, so he signed a contract for the next available transfer window. Is about the size of it. Ah, uh, okay. There are rules about signing children from abroad as well, aren't there? Which might be part of it. I'm not sure. And on to Luke Brennan at Blackburn, who is another child. Very questionable fringe. If you want to Google him, Luke Brennan. Have a look at his fringe, see if that's acceptable. I mean, unfortunately, there is a spate of dodgy fringes, in particularly under, under 23s at Leeds. It's like a, a boy band convention. But uh, he made his Blackburn under 23 debut this last year in August, making the step up from the under 18s. I think he's only still 17 or freshly 18 at this point. So he's, he's made the step up pretty quickly. Uh, Brighton and Liverpool reportedly in the hunt for him as well. I'd be interested to see how this um, this fringe is looking now after two and a half months of lockdown. He was obviously ironing it quite rigorously previously, but surely once it gets to the the length that it's it's down over your eyes, a difficult maintenance job. Be interesting uh, whether they tidy him up before we sign him. Just or we take him just raw. I'm a bit concerned that all of his features are in a very small area of his of his head. It looks like he might have been compressed. I don't know, we just need to look into that before we sign him. He looks as well. Do you remember Graham Fenton, who played for... Uh, I do. For Blackburn. For Blackburn. Yeah, he's got mm. the look of him about him, I'm sure. I'm just mm. Yeah, it's like um, if Graham Fenton... Obviously, it was the mid-90s, so he'd uh, not got that fringe. Although, maybe he had it at some point, because Brennan does seem to have a bit of a a Britpop throwback with that going on. Are we sure it's not his kid? I know the name, names are different, but it, you know, it could be by a, a different marriage or something. Maybe Rob Price has got the DNA testing stuff brought in at Thorpe Arch as well. We can have it all get on game swabbed. Maybe Rob Price has created him. He's decided that uh, Graham Fenton was the perfect player and he's going to rebuild clones. Good to see the YEP doing some heavy research on players we might want to bring in this summer, though. You liked this one, didn't you, Moscow? It wasn't only uh, the players that we could bring in, but there was a, it was one of those features where you could buy a, a photograph. There was a link to get a to buy a photo of of each one of these players, all the players who were used to play for Leeds United but are out of contract this summer and could conceivably come back for free. So Johnny Housen, a thirty one year old experienced Johnny Housen, is not actually that terrible an idea. We know he told matches click at the end of the game at the Riverside to get it done and get leads up so he's he's still a fan he's still rooting for us and he's had the uh, he's had a season of Jonathan Woodgate playing him in in central defence imagine what Marcelo Bielsa could do with Johnny Housen once he gets uh, hold of him so I think that's plausible Premier League experience as well he could be with Pablo Hernandez getting older uh, 31 year old Johnny could be the the older head to come in and kind of be the the Gordon Strachan figure to to guide the the young lads um, through the Premier League so and really the list after Johnny House at the top is just packed full of players like that I mean on this list Housen, Murphy, Peltier, Wooten Ridcott, Barney, Clayton Lonnie. I mean, it goes on. Pennington, Sheehan, Diagaraga. I mean, listen, it's Cameron Borthwick Jackson. Is he he's still he's still in contract at Man United, isn't he? I really hope he's been putting some money to one side because his next contract is going to be about three percent of what he's been earning. Wasn't he on like twenty grand a week when he came to us on loan? So he's been earning twenty thousand pounds a week. I think I think it was like a four year, four or five year deal he was on at Man U. The thing that really stands out to me on this list, though is Alan Sheehan and his true age, because apparently he is 33. So he is four years younger than Paul Green, who 
I thought was ancient when he played for Leeds. And um, Luke Varney is also 37. How the hell is Alan Sheehan? Every time his name seems to come up, you think, oh yeah, Alan Sheehan, he'd probably have retired by now, isn't he? But he seems to get younger and younger. I wouldn't be surprised if this this list is out in a year from now and it will say 29-year-old Alan Sheehan is, is available. What's going on with him? Maybe it's some sort of weird-ass Benjamin Button-type setup, or I don't know. It's hard to know, isn't it? Also at the bottom of this list, Izzy Brown. One Izzy Brown, he's kind of about to find himself cast into the wilderness by the looks of it. Because there was a time when, you know, let's be fair, we laugh at him now a little bit because he didn't do anything at Leeds. But when he was on loan at Huddersfield, he looked really, really good. And we were all, I think, fairly pleased, you would say, when we got him on loan and you thought, oh, that's a lad who, you know, once he's back up and at it, he could make a real impact. I think he's done all right for Luton this year, hasn't he? I've not followed him closely, I have to say, but he's been playing. Admittedly, they're terrible. Where do you think he ends up then, Izzy Brown? Somewhere like lower mid-championship or something? I think Huddersfield might have him back. Mm, yeah. Seems like the moving make. Just go back to where he was last successful. Reasonable. They'll probably pay him reasonable money. But he's another one, a bit like Barthwick Jackson, will probably be finding himself having like a 80% wage cut all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, there's there has been some serious talk about the number of lower league players who are going to find themselves essentially out of work when football goes back because teams aren't going to have squads the size they had and we don't yet know if leagues one and two and below will even be playing at all for for next season so i'm not sure that um danny graham back to leeds is is going to be a move that's um that's likely to happen although eric lehigh we were talking about needing um needing a left back instead of that right-footed child from brazil i quite like the idea of getting scott carson back as well because he played in our relegation season from the premier league so i think it's only right that he comes back and does a stint in our first season back. He can leave after that. I, mean, I don't think we should play him, obviously, but just have him back for the bench, just for, I don't know, some sort of weird completing the circle. The name that jumped out to me was Liam Bridcut. You will have seen the coverage this week. Gus Poyet, when he was manager of Brighton in 2013, they played uh, Newcastle in the FA Cup third round. So Brighton were in the championship at this point, knocked out uh, Newcastle, were in the Premier League. And he claimed in the wake of that victory that Bridcut was good enough for Real Madrid. He said, if I was Real Madrid's manager, I would sign him for Real Madrid. It didn't quite work out for him, did it? I must admit, I'm surprised how badly his career has gone because I was pleased when we signed him and he always looked all right for us. He was never brilliant, but he always looked perfectly reasonable. But he doesn't seem to have settled down anywhere. I'm not sure the the game really needs a, a midfielder who is going to stand next to the goalkeeper at all times anymore. That's what annoyed me in his, his last season at Leeds was trying to get him away from... It was like he wanted to be Rob Green's best mate at all times. He couldn't bear to be apart from him. So in, social distancing would not work with um, Liam Bridcut rushing back into training if Rob Green was there. Because straight up to him, riding on his shoulders if he could get away with it. Who's the worst player on this list? Who would you least like to see back? I think a 37-year-old Luke Varney is a particular yeah, low point. I would just give up on football if that if that happened. He's had a good career though, as Varney. He's done a lot of years there to say he was terrible. What's he done good in that career? I would say that 37-year-old Luke Varney of Cheltenham Town, that would feel like a step back to me. Well, you never know. It might be maybe the slower pace of the Premier League, as they say, isn't it? More time on the ball. Maybe that would suit him. People said McAllister was past it, didn't they, when he went to Liverpool? Look what he did there. I'm sure Luke Varney is just as good a player. Probably getting better with age. Can stand up now and everything. Hey, Moscow, your boy's been on the move. Attacker, he's um, gone to a different club. I know. I mean, those are all opportunities we've got in the summer. I cannot believe Victor Orta is supposed to have this Wikipedia of football-sized brain. How did he not get back in and jump on Jordan Bataka moving from Saint-Trudan to Ghent? People may wonder, moving from one Belgian club to another for 600,000 euro, but I think it says everything that Ghent have moved quickly during the lockdown to make sure this gets done. So how many transfers have actually taken place during the coronavirus crisis? Very few, because there are very few players out there who are actually worth getting all the work done and uh, and fighting, fighting through to have the deal signed off at the moment. And why have they done it? Because against, uh, with the Belgian league being stopped, depending on UEFA's ratification, they'll be entering next season's Champions League, the third qualifying round. But you need the quality of Jordan Bataka to obviously take them to the next level. And uh, and I predict Ghent will probably have a glory season on a par with Leeds United uh, in 2000 ahead of them now they've made a signing of that quality. He does have, I think, I'm blaming you for this, in fact, Moscow, because when you look through the sort of replies to this on Twitter, it's all Leeds fans just 
saying congratulations and good luck to him. He's left a strange impact at Leeds for someone who played virtually no games. But Leeds fans do this though. If you ever look at um, Habib Habibu's Twitter account, who, I mean, to be fair, he does occasionally mention Leeds, but whenever he does, lots of people saying nice things to him. And you do get players who just came across as nice guys. I don't think Luke Varney would um, would necessarily get the same response if he tweeted anything about Leeds. But then Luke Varney was never fit to even lace Jordan Bataka's slipper tassels, never mind his football boots. Thomas Christiansen, bless him. Fin de la collaboration. It's all it's all happening in Belgium as well. He was at uh, uh, Union Sengawar. He was their head coach, but they have, um, yes, have they put it on their website, they've ended the collaboration. He uh, played 28 league games, won 11, drawn five, lost, I'm sure he lost more than three. I wrote them. The mass down myself earlier, and I think I've counted that wrong. What's tw- what's eleven plus five? Sixteen. <laughs> right. What's tw- what am I missing? Hold on. Let me find the post-it note I wrote this on. Where is he? Right. Fourteen. Oh, I've, I don't know. I've plainly written his stats down completely wrong. He lost at least five. Oh, right. No, here it is. <laughs> Played twenty-eight. People almost sounds like my knowledge of the uh, the Belgian second division is not just instinctive and innate. Played twenty-eight, won eleven, drew thirteen, lost five. We had a positive goal difference. It's complicated because they split the season in half. Don't they? So it was the first and the second, and I had to add them together, and I've completely messed it up. But a quarterfinals of the Belgian Cup that was easy to uh, to to calculate. None of it's enough to earn him a second season. They've got some handsome devil in instead there. I know this is the way football clubs tend to do it, but the two-line statement saying that he's they've ended the collaboration, we thank Thomas for his involvement and wish him good luck for the rest of his career. And then two days later, um, the gushing announcement um, that their new coach is Felice Mazou, which says, no need to introduce our new technician, exclamation mark. Who's using exclamation marks on a new manager announcement? Age 54 and a native of Charlois. It sounds like they've got um, Graham off of Blind Date to write this, actually. No need to introduce our new technician. Age 54, Silla and a native of Charlois, Felice Mazou began his coaching career in the early 1990s. After a visit to our neighbours of Leo, his career took off into bees, blah, 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 blah. He managed a team called White Star Willoway, which is quite um, exciting. Have you seen his Wikipedia picture? I've pasted it onto our, our show notes myself. Oh, sorry, I've not scrolled down enough, yeah. Interesting. He looks <laughs> so he, he looks like um, essentially Thomas Christensen has lost his job to a thug version of himself. I know, it looks like, a, I think it looks like he's been in a band in the early 90s to me. And he's still trying to be a bit cool. Yeah, he's wearing kind of a like an army jacket with a, you can see he's got a, an iPhone tucked in his unbuttoned chest pocket. And there's his, uh, his shirt collar is kind of at a raffish angle. He's got his, his hands in his jean pockets underneath his, his untucked uh, military. It's like a drab olive coloured shirt with patches on the sleeve of his jacket. It's, it's if, imagine if Thomas Christensen was a fighter pilot. That's who we're looking at here. The more recent photos, this is a five-year-old photo. He's gone um he's gone a bit silver in the meantime, but still looks still looks pretty cool. Whereas Thomas Christensen just um bless him. Well, Thomas Christensen looks exactly the same. Nice, a little bit baffled. Probably, I think, time for Thomas to do something else apart from apart from take a kicking for not being better at managing football teams. I mean... That... You say that, but Luke Varney is there in, what, year 20 of his career as a footballer, probably? Still going there, so who says Thomas Christensen can't keep going? Uh, 11 wins, 13 draws, 5 defeats. It's kind of... I mean, that's all right, isn't it? That's not a bad record. He's obviously... And we saw it in the early stages of, of Leeds when it gets forgotten a little bit that under Thomas Christensen, that was when the BBC and the media started coming back to Leeds and saying, fucking hell, Leeds are going straight up because we were breaking records for the number of consecutive wins and the football was better than we'd seen for years and, and everything was fantastic. And then obviously it, it, it died off within a few months. But he's, he's always, five defeats is, is not a terrible amount over a season. 13 draws though, not quite there. And if you're drawing more than you're winning, it's all right, isn't it? And then he's really nice. But you, you know, you just, it's not that, um, 
he's never going to be Mourinho, is he? He's too nice to be a football manager. When, when you see the photos of him doing pro-am golf events with Pep Guardiola, that's Thomas Christensen. That's the guy I love. You know the guy who's replaced him? You say he looks like a fighter pilot. You're right. He's got all that kind of military casual garb on. You didn't mention in your description that he's got a bit of a paunch there as well. He, he reminds me of, you know, Maverick out of Top Gun. It's like he's just hit middle age and retired. You know, the wheels have come off. I don't know. It looks like he's got the charisma to carry off a bit of a paunch to me. Like he's still the coolest guy there. He's definitely, he's cool dad. Thomas Christensen's nice dad. This is cool dad. You'd go around Phyllis Mizzou's house to drink with your mates. Um, whereas Thomas Christensen would kind of say, you're not going to do it in my house. I know it's going on and it's fine. That's the difference. We've teamed up with our podcast partner, Levi Solicitors, to offer you 20% off if you're a key worker during the coronavirus lockdown. 10% off for you anyway if you go through the square ball. Levi's want to say thanks to everybody who's been keeping us ticking over. And if you've got legal matters that need taking care of, give them a shout. Take advantage of the discounts, uh, whether it's dispute resolution, wills, probate, conveyancing, uh, or they've got loads and loads of business services for you as well. Debt recovery, licensing, employment, stuff like that. 10% off for square ballers, 20% if you are a key worker, levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. It's time for heroes and villains now then, chaps. The Ken Bates Villainy Award is the first one that we give out and the first nomination, as is the custom with this, goes to Ken Bates for what? I know he's not technically his child, but he may as well be. So Dennis Wise is getting this on behalf of Ken Bates for his management of Leeds United. Robbie Blake was on uh, Under the Cosh podcast, just slagging him off. Slagging off Blackwell more, actually. But in it, Wise in particular for just talking shit at Gary Kelly, trying to get him to do something that would get him sacked, was what was what Robbie Blake's interpretation of what was going on was. I mean, Wise and Bates are one and the same thing. They're two sides of the same coin, aren't they? They're the same organism to all intents and purposes. Yeah, Blake was very clear that they were as thick as thieves and plotting stuff between them, as, while Wise was splitting the dressing room into m- many, many fragments. But we know all this. We were there for it. Who's put Torrey Andrew Flo on the uh, on the sheet? Because that's not the name that I remember him having. <laughs> and yeah, I've, I've accidentally I also put Robbie Keane on the bit above it as well. I know what I meant. Robbie Blake, Robbie Keane, same thing, aren't they? Yes, Torrey Andrew Flo, who is a, I suppose in himself a bit of a Dennis Wise Ken Bates extension with the Chelsea thing. He was on this week's clapping video. Hands are far too big. I think they're continuing to grow, and I think it needs looking at. I haven't seen this week's clapping video, so can you talk me through his his hand? to arm ratio, that kind of thing. His hand, have you ever seen the Foo Fighters video for Everlong? No. Look it up. There's a bit in that where the, his hand kind of grows to a, a gigantic size and he starts whacking people with it. I think Torre Andre Flo's planning something like that. I think maybe it was unfortunately positioned camera because it, it was at hand level and his hands were reaching forward, but they looked like the big foam hands that you get if you went to watch wrestling. I mean, I'm quite big of hand myself, so I'm going to have to check this out before if this is this is permissible or not, because I feel like you might be um, jacking my swag a little bit here. Yours aren't big, yours are just fat. Unfair. Little sausagey fingers. Unfair. Like bratwursts, your fingers. I was going to say, little sausagey fingers. You could roll them up and stick a toothpick through them. But <laughs> Let's move on. Give me another nomination before you keep uh, finger shaming me. Uh, scum. Finger shaming sounds awful, by the way. But yeah, scum. Scum. Scum? Scum. Specifically in this instance, because they're taking legal action against the makers of the Football Manager computer game for two offences. One, using the words Manchester United in their game without permission. And then two, putting a fake badge next to those words, which then apparently does not respect the amount of money that Scum expect to make out of their Scum brand at all times. Sega's, uh, it's Sega and Sports Interactive's defence is that it's a legitimate reference to the Manchester United football team in a football context, that they've been using it basically since 1992 without any complaint. And not only that, that they've been sending copies of the game to officials and players at Scum for years and their own analytics staff and scouting staff have been contacting football manager um, for access to their database for years for scouting and research purposes. So I think their question is, why now? And I think the answer to that is because scum want money. That's basically what it comes down to. If I was um, Sega, uh, without wanting to prejudice the outcome of what is an ongoing legal case, just in future, replace the words Manchester United with the word scum. Everyone will know what you mean. It's still football context, but it works equally as well 
and it will quieten them down. I did notice on this year's game, Juventus aren't on it. Did you see that? Zebre, they're called. Zebre, yeah. They've, they've, um, although instantly when people do that, there's just patches released that fix it to be, to be the proper name. That's part of Scum's complaint as well, is that, um, is that uh, Sports Interactive promote said patches too much and encourage people to put the real logo in. The reason for the Zebra thing is because um, Juventus have got this exclusive tie-in with Pro Evolution Soccer, haven't they? So only Pro Evo sorry, are allowed to license the name because on FIFA they're called something else as well, like Piedmont de Calcio or something. So it's all, it's all a big fuck-over. I don't know who's responsible for it, but it's a fuck-over. Hey, you know, on Man United, did you ever do what, what I used to do as a kid when you wanted to cheat a football manager or championship manager previously, which was you would add an additional manager at Manchester United, then buy all your shit players off Leeds for like hugely inflated prices so you could get rid of your dead wood, but you could also rinse them for all their money because they were always the richest club in England. And then you quit, obviously. Yeah, always. I used to also offer massive contracts to all their shit players so they'd go bankrupt as well. You'd put, put everyone on maximum wage as you could, even all the youth players. Imagine them lining up now with uh, Ollie at the wheel and Cameron Bothwick-Jackson earning £200,000 a week at left-back, passing it forward to their experienced captain, Luke Varney. Though I will say that is quite moderate compared to when we did the Football Manager Marathon and someone said they used to edit it, so they gave David Beckham a fractured skull with a 100% chance of recurring. <laughs> that was very funny. And a legitimate um, path to take, I think. Yep. So what we're saying is that's a dreadful football club and they deserve all the ill will that's coming their way and the beating that we will hand out to them when we are a Premier League club next season. Speaking of other dreadful football clubs, we've got to nominate Hull, big crybabies. Yeah, just just for... They know what they've done. As I always say about the difference between Grimsby and Hull, at least Grimsby have the self-respect to actually put a fish on their club badge instead of hiding behind some kind of big cap. Has there ever been a tiger in Hull? My point exactly. A Tiger Tiger? I don't think it even got one of those, to be honest. Jesus, too glam. Even Tiger Tiger was considered too good for Hull. Is that all your candidates, or would you like to nominate anybody else? Just give it to Scum. We don't. I feel like they're not on it too often, so it's nice to be able to include them. Like an early warning shot ahead of next season. We won't be standing for this kind of nonsense when we're in the Premier League. That is a point, actually. When we are in the Premier League, the next version of FIFA, assuming we don't fuck this up and we do get up, FIFA will have Ellen Road on it because they will go and put the ground in properly. It won't be the East Point Arena anymore. I must. Admit, I think the last version of FIFA I played was 98. So the stadiums back in those days that were, were very basic. But it'll be good for the youth. Maybe it'll help you, your son to continue becoming a Leeds fan. He's on the right path. I, I mentioned to him about the kits as well. And, you know, obviously the start, really discounting the, um, the kits towards the end of the contract. So I'm hanging in there. Now I've got him his grey kit. I'm going to get the blue one for him as well when that gets hits rock bottom prices just before we um, flip over to Adidas. So um, I'll continue indoctrinating him. Wish me luck. Good message and thrifty, I approve. Andy Hughes Hero Award then now, please. Candidates for this. I mean, Leeds United are in this every week at the minute for doing good th- uh, good things. So should we put them in again for this week? Yeah, just for the ticket thing. I was pleased with it. It was a statement that you could read in about a minute. It was really clear what you needed to do or not do. Good. Well done. We'd have been having to, under Bates, we'd have been having to send telegrams if you wanted your money back and stuff, whereas they've just gone, yeah, you'll get it back, don't worry about it, we'll sort it out when we need to. And let's not forget we are the FIFA Fair Play Award winners, uh, holders, fairest club in the world, so good time to be a Leeds fan. And who else do we have then as candidates for hero ship? I would individually nominate as part of the overall Leeds United nomination, I suppose. Whoever decided to put a photograph of Calvin Phillips and Tyler Roberts on social media on Monday, as everybody's welcome back to Training. It worked better than, I don't know if you've seen Sky footage, they had a camera outside Thorpe Arch to film all the, the players' cars coming in, but um, a combination of uh, anti-glare windscreens and it being a very hot, sunny day meant that you were basically looking at a lot of obscure windscreens with few clues of who was actually driving the cars. So that didn't work very well, but big photograph of Calvin's smiley face with his friend in hair, Tyler Roberts, was a... A, a real delight and um, and yeah and Gianni Alioski also for being back in training for um, what do we think about two minutes and then he's already photographed clambering all over a motorbike great start from the lat nothing has changed a lot of footballers have clauses in their contracts not to ride motorbikes don't they I know um, it was a, a condition at Leeds years back 
I think that might be why that photo was taken down off Twitter quite quickly. He, he tweeted it himself. There's no evidence whether that's his motorbike, somebody else's motorbike, what was going on. But for some reason, it's not there on his account anymore. So, yes, he's had an instant rebuke for that one, which all power to him. Was that in place just for David Batty, that clause? I mean, he will have ignored it. I think it's a contractual clause just for, for footballers in general, because they're so highly valued. If Obviously, if they break the legs in some sort of injury, then they just won't insure them if they ride bikes. So I think they're, they're told they're not allowed to. But I suspect with Janne, that might have been one of those motorbikes. You know, when you go to Morrison's and there's those little toys that you put 50p in for the kids to have a ride. One of them's always a motorbike. It's true. Anyway, uh, who else for Heroship? Bielsa again for continuing. Well, the people stalking Bielsa. Who was it this time? Who did the actual stalking? It's um, a fellow called, uh, he calls himself Clickbait on Twitter. He is, uh, this is Absent DJ. It wasn't only that the photograph he took of Marcelo Bielsa in Weatherby Morrison's was a, a good photo, but the detail uh, when he posted the reply later on saying that um, they'd passed each other five minutes later in a different aisle and that Marcelo Bielsa waved at him is possibly my favourite example of Bielsa spotting in the wild that I've yet come across because, you know, it's like kind of bumping into somebody you sort of half know in a supermarket. You have a little chat, but then you keep repassing them and, you know, you can't stop chat again and you just kind of have a little, oh, yeah. If you've ever seen that clip of um, Steve Bruce opening a, a press conference by he's sort of looking up and greeting the, the journalist going, all right, yeah. I mean, it's and knowing that Bielsa, you know, we know that he's he's a he's a quiet man and and a few words, but but does what he can out of the the, the duty he feels to Leeds fans. That little bueno, hello again. So yeah. when you get stuck behind someone, it was opening a run of doors for you. If you're going into like a quite a big building and you go, oh, cheers, then thirty seconds later, thanks. Yeah, it's a nice one. Yeah, you don't. But by the time you hit the third door, there you've run out of things to say, haven't you? It's like cheers. You just thanks. Third tap, one, game tap. over. Yeah, nod. Just a little nod by the end. Thanks. I was thinking about this the other day with um, Bielsa because you remember in his early days at Leeds when he he'd made his first impact, he was asked how he felt about the fans wanting a, an autograph with him. And you remember there was a, a reserve game when there was an actual queue of people wanted a, a selfie with him and stuff. And he, he insisted that they don't want a photograph or an autograph from Marcelo Bielsa, that he only uh, has this attention because he is the head coach of Leeds United. And as if you could, you know, you could put a, um, a balloon on a stick inside a, a cap of tracksuit top and people would go up and want a photo with it. I wonder if he's... Now that we're, I mean, we are nearly two years into his reign and we should be at the end of his, his second season and the way that people are uh, talking to him when they see him on the streets during the lockdown, maybe the the penny is slightly dropping that we didn't feel this way about Steve Evans when he was here, when he was head coach of Leeds United. And that if, if Paul Heckingbottom was head coach of Leeds throughout the coronavirus, there wouldn't necessarily be a, a queue of people in Weatherby Morrison's wanting to, you know, wish him well and have a photograph taken with him that actually it is a lot to do with him and not just the badge on his tracky top. I was just, I was just wondering whether that penny might have dropped for him. I hope it has. A couple of podcast favourites have reared their head this week. Uh, and I think we should definitely mention him in this section. Robbie Savage has been holding the government to account on behalf of grassroots footballers in the daily um, COVID press briefings in the UK. Good to see Robbie. Um, Again, using this platform for good, I think. People say the government are dodging the tough questions, but they're letting Robbie Savage have a go, so that's that theory out the window. What did Robbie Savage ask? He was being a class warrior. He was asking why tennis players and athletes and golfers can have coaching sessions, but young working class footballers can't. I mean, there's an obvious answer to it, in fairness. I can't really... Uh, it's not entering my brain right. I, I don't, it doesn't sound like Robbie Savage, does it? It's not the sort of thing he would say at all. I mean, I presume he was putting on a, a posh accent for speaking to a member of parliament. So it's probably, why can junior tennis players, athletes and golfers? He sounds Geordie there, doesn't he? Yeah. He's gone Peter Beardsley. Uh, Is it coaching sessions that young people play wearing a game of football? And are out of? What was his answer? Now, now it makes sense. The answer was just that social distancing makes it possible. It's a team sport. But, you know, hopefully it'll be all right later. Oh, I did notice in the initial guidance they said about sports and you can play with someone else 
people from your household or one other person from elsewhere. And amongst the sports listed was basketball, which I, I can only assume no one in government has ever seen because that's really like close up and physical generally. So good on Robbie for uh, promoting the positive aspects of football and, and the social good. And we've heard from Sean Deitch, who's been talking up in a Sky Sports interview about bringing football back. Did you catch any of that? If not, maybe we should refresh everyone's memory. I, I didn't get this. Is Funnily enough, this is the first time I've seen his comments. <laughs> what has he been saying then? He just doesn't cut through the way uh, the way you'd expect somebody with his his gravitas and his gravelly voice to cut through. They should have him doing the um, doing the regular press conferences. I've been able to spend some time with my kids and catch up with family life in these strange times. I've enjoyed that side of it, but now I'm I'm ready. Now I think everyone's ready. It's what I do. It's what I've done since I was sixteen. I've been a professional footballer all my life, so when it's taken away, it feels odd. After a while, you get that feeling again, that bug. You want to get back out there and eat those fucking worms. All of them. That is a slightly unfortunate choice of words during a pandemic, isn't it, about uh, getting that bug? But anyway, continue, Sean, sorry. Oh, is he not finished? Christ's sake. The big question is how quickly you can get into a form as its players and remind them of what they need to do. Everyone will be looking for that continuity. We just need to get to a level where we think we can win games. And it's a, ch- it's a challenge I think we all understand. Yes. Why is he a, a villain for this, or a hero, sorry? Seems to me like he's just said some stuff and you put it on the prep sheet to punish me. <laughs> That's it, basically, yeah. Who's your hero? <laughs> Should we go with um, Alioski as a representative of Leeds United's return to training? I assume he's fully muzzled, generally speaking, at the moment. And future Hell's Angel, Gianni Alioski, by the looks of it, on that motorbike, whether it was a toy one or not. Yeah, you couldn't see the... Uh... The leather jacket and chains, I think they were just out of shot on the floor next to the motorbike. What is it about Alioski that just makes him funny? I don't, I can, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it psychologically, why I find looking at him sat on a motorbike to be a hilarious thing. Why is it? He's just got one of those faces. He's got the, He's got one of the least serious faces. I, I've seen him do serious things. I think he did the clapping one week when he was just looking serious. But you could tell he wasn't really. You could tell he was. he was giggling. It was like someone who'd been forced to speak to the teacher for a minute and was trying to be good. I think it's also it's that aspect of him doing something that he is not supposed to be doing. As you said before, we all know that footballers have these things in their contracts. They're right. You're not supposed to go on. You're not supposed to go on skiing holidays. You shouldn't be on a motorbike. It's the only surprising thing is that he wasn't wearing skis on that motorbike and at the, at the top of a, a fucking dry ski slope like Eddie the Eagle Edwards. First day back to training. Whee! <laughs> yeah and a rightful hero I think that one this time Johnny yeah he does make me happy and obviously Leeds United just keep being Leeds we've missed you and we're looking forward to having you back uh, should we wrap it up there then and we'll say we've got the extra ball coming this week Championship Manager Podcast is on there as well with brand new mugs and coasters on our merch store which you can find at the squareball.net those Bielsa mugs are going quickly so get hold of one if you want to uh, that's all at thesquareball.net. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll speak to you in a bit. The Squareball Podcast. 